Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, Holy Mother Church around the world celebrates Palm Sunday. And today we read from Matthew's version of the Passion of Jesus Christ. Now, the Passion of Christ is the greatest story in the Bible. You could say the whole Bible is a precursor to Jesus Christ's Passion, Death, and Resurrection. Jesus' Passion is the pinnacle of the whole Bible. Now, when hearing the Passion read, we have to resist what I refer to as the principle of familiarity, in which we say to ourselves, oh, I've heard this story so many times. You know, I know it by heart. Then we tend to overlook some of the symbolic richness of this story. Well, what I want to do in a brief way is highlight some of the aspects of the story to help us appreciate and grow in our love for this very powerful, spiritually charged story, especially now as we begin Holy Week. Now notice, in the first gospel that we read at the very beginning of Mass, it starts with Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Now Jesus essentially He enters into Jerusalem in a very intentional way, riding on an animal. Now, he did this because previous kings of Israel did the same thing. They rode into the capital city of Jerusalem. In doing so, they would ceremoniously assume the throne of the king of Israel. Now, Jesus is doing the same thing. Jesus is indicating to us, as well as the people, that he is the king. And not just of Israel, and not just of the universe, but he is the king of our lives. Now, we hear that the people waved palms, which back then was a means of praising their king. But also, it was a means of validating that this person was their king, and they were loyal subjects to their king. It was their approval. Well, for us, in our day and age, it would be if we were to throw confetti or have balloons or signs, you know, welcoming our king or our president. Now, to have a king is very hard for us to understand. As Americans, we pride ourselves by electing our own leaders. And so it's difficult for us to kind of imagine to have a king. Well, I think the, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, what is it that we have to do to be a loyal subject of a king? What does that really mean? Well, to be a loyal subject of our king, and we all are, because we practice our faith and we go to Mass every week and we pray every day, we engage a life of stewardship. 
So we are loyal subjects of our king. But what does it really mean? It means that our king's thoughts are now our thoughts. Our king's words are now our words. Our king's actions are now our actions. Which means what? We conform our entire life to Jesus Christ, who is our king, by thought, word, and deed. And yet, some people in this world, they don't do that. They do just the opposite. You know, they practice such things as lies or gossiping, engaging in rumors with the intention of spreading them to cause division. And in doing so, these lies and gossip and rumors destroy people's good name and their reputation. These actions and these words are not the words of Jesus Christ, and he is not their king. Instead, their king is the Antichrist, because their actions and their words are the works of the devil. Now, next, Jesus, he comes into Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. Now, what we have to realize is the Passover was the greatest or the premier event for the Jewish people. The Passover recalls essentially the Exodus story in which God liberates the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and then leads them to the promised land. Now, for us to really appreciate and fathom the magnitude of Passover, it would be like grouping Christmas, Easter, and the 4th of July all together. That's how powerful it is for Jews. Now, the Israelite people, they descend upon Jerusalem because it's where the temple is located. Now, to give you an indication of the magnitude of this event, the population of Jerusalem during Jesus' time was about 30,000 people. But during the week of Passover, Jerusalem would swell to about 150,000 people. See, that tells us that this is a very powerful celebration for the Jewish people. Now, as I've said, the Passover was recognizing or celebrating God's deliverance of the Israel from slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land. Now, at the heart of the celebration is a very sacred meal, and it's eaten in a certain way as directed by God for centuries on end. Well, in the Passion that we've read, Jesus, he celebrates the Last Supper with his apostles. And in doing so, he institutes and establishes the Mass that we know in our day and age today. Now, in some ways, you could argue that our Mass is kind of like a Christian Passover. And it's very similar to the Jewish Passover. Every time we gather for Mass, we celebrate God's deliverance of us. In our case, deliverance from sin and death. And God leading us to the promised land. And in our case, it's heaven. And so, at the heart of our Mass is also a sacred meal. We eat Jesus' body, drink his blood. And that meal is eaten in a certain way as directed by Jesus Christ himself. Now, fast forward to the garden. Now, first of all, Jesus, he leads his apostles after celebrating the Last Supper to the garden. 
Now remember, they are in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem is the capital city of Israel. It's the largest city in the entire country. It's a beautiful and grand city. So there's many places that they could go. But they go into the Garden of Gethsemane. So begs the question, why? Well, I think St. Augustine gives us the best answer. He says, what began in the garden ends in the garden. So what began in the garden? The fall of grace. Adam and Eve ushering sin into this world. And we see that momentum of sin throughout the entire Bible. And so then it begs the question, well, what ends in the garden? That same momentum. Jesus, in the agony of the garden, he accepts the cup of suffering. He accepts the Father's will. And through his passion and death, now he stops that momentum of sin and begins to reverse it. One last thing. The very end of Jesus's life, before he dies, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, don't make the mistake of the literal translation of that. Jesus does not believe that God the Father has abandoned him, has left him. No, that's not the case. They were always together from the very beginning of time and space, and they were, will continue to be together for all of eternity. What Jesus is saying here is he's praying Psalm 22. It's the prayer of the righteous sufferer. That although innocent, he is mocked and he suffers for sinners. And so Jesus is praying this psalm. I would argue Jesus embodies that psalm on the cross as he surrenders his life in order for us to be saved. Now what's so amazing is the details of the psalm are strikingly similar to Jesus' passion. The details are with great accuracy. How this person is humiliated. He is stripped of his clothes and people cast dice for his clothes. Now realize, King David wrote this psalm a thousand years before Jesus was even born. And he saw the prophecy and he saw what Jesus would do as he wrote this psalm. Friends, today we begin Holy Week, the greatest week in our entire liturgical year. Strongly encourage you, take advantage of the beautiful liturgies that we have this week. Each is unique of its own right. Holy Thursday, we celebrate Jesus coming together with his apostles and establishing or instituting the Mass that we know today. But also, giving the apostles an image of service by washing their feet. Good Friday, we come to Mass, to the service, and it is bittersweet for us. We come in a very somber way to recognize Jesus' pain and suffering and death for us to be released from the grip of death so salvation may come about. Easter on the vigil or Easter Sunday, is the great victory in which we celebrate Jesus' victory over death and his resurrection. But also we celebrate for ourselves that we hope and pray that one day we too will share in that resurrection ourselves. And may the grace and the peace 
of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.